Berylham Sports. Hello, good evening and welcome to Sportscast on your Saturday evening here from 6 through 7. This is Tony Rice alongside the machine, Jason McKenna. And you know the formula. It's your show every single bit as much as it is ours. And that means each and every single week on Sportscast, we will be debating, dissecting and indeed analysing a sporting topic of your choosing. And before we get underway with this week's topic, just a flag post to everybody with that very mantra in mind. Keep a beady eye across social media, maybe more so this week than ever, because available now are the next three weeks of choices, which will frame the next three weeks sportscast conversations. So get involved. You know you want to. Uh, tweet us at Berlin Sport. Do check us out across uh, Twitter and engage with us. Make your selections, and that will inform us in our next three weeks sportscast conversations. But for tonight, and again, thanks to you and your choosing, we're in January. Of course, we are. Many people love the January sales. For many footballers, though, and for many footballing um managers and chairman it's a stressful time because it's that january sales that window of opportunity to bolster squads which of course means big players go elsewhere who's going to be coming who's going to be going tonight though we're taking a trip down memory lane and analyzing dissecting debating the best and indeed the worst Premier League transfers all time. Many regular listeners may recall that this is take two of that very topic. So big, we had to do it twice, and it's coming at you right now. I'm excited as always to get into this. Looking forward to the machine's perspective. But I know, Mr. McKenna, you've been busy being kept busy by the uh, listeners engaging with us across social media, tweeting us, emailing on sport at radioperal.com and other ways of engaging. What on earth have we got from the listeners' perspective in terms of January sales or Premier League worst and best transfers? Uh, it's a great topic, Tony, because it, it, it does usher in some nostalgia and also for some clubs negative memories associated with this very treacherous period in terms of seasons and some seasons are made and some seasons are absolutely destroyed by the getting this January transfer window right there's also the debate maybe for another time is should there even be a January transfer window should it be bishbosh all done in the summer uh, there's a lot of positives and negatives to that but in terms of people's involvement through the social media there's been a lot of tweets as you said there emailed as well to sport at radioverilum.com now i've split this up into two groups the good the bad we don't have the ugly it's not you know quite the spaghetti western-esque uh, discussion but the good transfers from january a lot of people will know these names. Some of them might not have known that they were January transfers, but Luis Suarez to Liverpool mm -hmm. in that infamous time when they also signed Andy Carroll. Virgil van Dijk, a big, big one again yeah. for the Reds, moving from Southampton to Liverpool. I'll tell you what, just quickly on van Dijk, it's, we say it sometimes, don't we, Jason? And it's a truism. You, on occasion, don't realise just how precious something is until you don't have it anymore. Liverpool still well-placed. Of course they are. 
but you can palpably see uh, the levels of confidence fading from that great run, of course, leading them to uh, their first Premier League in the Premier League era uh, last season. Such a big player, such a big loss. Great shout, that one. Yes, and adding to that, another red, but from the Reds' fierce rivalry, is Bruno Fernandes. Now, a lot of people will say that one might be a bit premature because obviously he only signed last January transfer window. But I'm sure, Tony, you will actually agree there that he has been maybe one of the reasons why the club has had this huge turnaround in fortunes. No questions about it. The first uh, player in the Premier League history to claim four uh, Premier League uh, Player of the Month awards in a calendar year. That tells you something. The upswing in Manchester United form is, I, wouldn't, I, I don't like to say solely down to Fernandes, but goodness me, he finally surpasses uh, Frank Lampard for most assists in a year. Um, I think he got 29 uh, this ca- last calendar year. He's a big, big player, and I think he's only going to trend upwards. Certainly watch out for Fernandes. That's a great shout. So moving on to the Blues, and this one is John Stone's from Barnsley to Everton. So that was quite a while ago, not to his Manchester City move. Then another one for Liverpool, and he's got so many good goals in the Premier League, Felipe Coutinho. Again, quite a bargain when you look at it. Eight million his cost from Inter Milan to Liverpool. And then what did they sell him for? Mighty big profit. And then one that I had to include because it was Mm -hmm. for my club, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang coming to Arsenal. A lot of people said it will never happen. There was questions about was the club even big enough for him to come? But he was actually Arsene Wenger's last ever signing as well. And I think it kind of showed you and it, it shows you how how much of an allure Mr. Wenger had. He was one of the big granddaddies of football history. And I think he was the person that kind of pushed that over the line. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he couldn't see the huge successes that Aubameyang has brought us onto. But we moved there. Just quickly, Jason, before you go uh, to the darker side and some of the more uh, <laughs> less fantastic signings being made over the years, I uh, just got to briefly touch on uh, Aubameyang there. Great player. You must be delighted as a gunner to see him getting back to scoring form. Obviously, after that phenomenal first season, there has been a bit of a dip this campaign, but seems to be back um, uh, finding his goal-scoring boots again. His form and his abilities are going to be absolutely critical for Arsenal moving forward, but you must be delighted that you've locked him into a longer-term contract. This one might sound a little bit controversial, but... I'm happy that obviously he has signed, but it's another long-term contract to a player in the wrong side of 30 years old. Mm -hmm. He's still magnificent. He's still at his physical prowess. But then we've seen what happened with Ozil recently. And I I wouldn't have liked to have seen him go, obviously, and and I'm happy he's, he's there. But there is this element of have we signed up another kind of player that's going to drain the resources? So I'm a little bit apprehensive and maybe a lot of Arsenal fans will kind of funnel in and say, God, you know, he's been the top scorer, et cetera, et cetera. But we've seen this season that he is world-class, no doubt about it, but he has ridden a lot of luck in terms of underlying data. Mm. He's a world-class finisher, but 
of recent, it's finally been exposed and maybe finally been worked on, but Arsenal just haven't produced the performances that are worthy of Aubameyang. So I'm just worried about the longevity of the future of the club. We need to be obviously tying down players like that, but we should have tied them down a little bit earlier so we weren't forced into this kind of corner here. Uh, and the second thing is is making sure that we are investing in the right kind of people as well. So he, he is a phenomenal player for Arsenal, but we shall see if it was right to give him such a long-term contract. But one that is undoubtedly, well, many here that we're going to go on to that were undoubtedly bad long-term contracts. The first, I've already mentioned him, Andy Carroll to Liverpool. Mm. But another Liverpool-involved transfer, they seem to be involved with quite a few of these, is the Fernando Torres move to Chelsea. That was yeah, huge. Yeah, we, we highlighted that in depth, one. didn't we, in the last um, uh, Premier League transfer, good and bad conversation that we had. And yeah, it wasn't a stellar time for him at the Blues. And it's a strange one, wasn't it? Because everybody knows that I'm a big Jose Marino fan. And reading between the lines, it never really felt that Torres was his number one choice. Very, very bad times. But as you rightly pointed out in that last conversation, um, what a great thing he did do early in his career. Of course, World Cup winner, European Cup winner with Spain as well. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting campaign he had. But yeah, good shout, I think, I'm afraid to say. It's a sad one because on his day, uh, and he's broken so many records, he was truly amazing. But a big question mark has to go over Christopher Samba's move from ANSI to QPR in 2013. He was on huge money as well. He only cost £12.5 But in terms of the actual contract value, it was in the hundreds of thousands per week because obviously he'd gone to Russia to, to get one of those bumper trunk, uh, yeah. contracts. Then we go to what a lot of Southampton and Fantasy Premier League fans have dubbed Manogol's Gabbiadini. That is Manolo Gabbiadini. But he was he hit the ground running when he joined Southampton and then they just dried out. I think he got 10 in his first 20 appearances. He was looking like a good acquisition and then it all fell apart, Tony. Do you know what's really interesting about that, though, Jason? Is that it just goes to show us all um, just how difficult targeting players is and why it is amazing the galaxy of stars that we're going to put on the microscope tonight and who have graced the Premier League over the years. The reason I make that point is this. Southampton's record with uh, both selecting players uh, externally and developing internally, uh, Mane for one, Bale another, Theo Walcott just off the top of my head, is astonishing. Uh, I mean, I, I remember the Champions League final where I think it was Real Madrid beating Liverpool a few years back, where I actually counted starting that day, so 22 possible starters, seven ex-Southampton players. So my point's very simple. They are a phenomenal organisation, doing great things again this season in terms of developing players, developing talent, targeting talent, but there's no guarantees. The Premier League, I know there's a lot of PR spin to it and a lot of hype, but it is a unique and incredibly special league. I really think that's just a fair statement. And certain players simply 
cannot adjust to it. And again, like you say, Jason, comes in, looks strong, gets amongst the goals, but can't build on it. There is something unique about the Premier League experience. And again, it is amazing the amount of great selections that managers make and have done over the years. We're excited to build into discussing some of those. But just proves the point. Nobody bats a thousand, as the uh, American sporting parlance goes. (laughs) And one that... I think Bournemouth wasted quite a few thousand in terms of money was the signing of Dominic Solanke, another January transfer signing. Uh, Again, another one sent in by the lovely listeners here for 18 million. And that huge outlay there, one of the club record signings of all time. There's a lot of questions to it. He joined Liverpool from Chelsea, hadn't played a lot. He didn't play a lot under Liverpool. And then for some reason, Bournemouth thought it was right to shell out a hell of a lot of money where it could have been spent in much needed other areas. And then again, I'm finishing just like I started with the good, another Arsenal signing. And it was, this one really baffled me at the time. It still does. Arsenal were in dire need of midfielder, uh, a midfielder. They needed lots of players because there was an injury crisis. And I'm sure you remember this baffling one as well, Tony. But Arsenal decided to sign the Swedish midfielder, Kim Kallström. When he signed, he'd actually broken his back. Now, surely that would have come up with the... the, uh, initial preliminary uh, in medical examinations. So that one was baffling in of itself because he couldn't play for three months of the season before he actually got onto the pitch. And by then, basically, the season was over. So another huge one that I think Arsenal got wrong, uh, Arsene Wenger, and maybe it was an appeasement signing so that on Mm. the, the deadline day, we're like, oh, we've got this weird Swedish midfielder from the Russian league. And then a week later, after the crowd has died down, suddenly, oh, he's got a back injury. Uh, do you remember that very strange affair? I do, and it's sad because uh, I wouldn't say it was the beginning of the end, but Wenger has been so special in his philosophy and what he's brought and enriched the Premier League. But some of his kind of selections were, I think, off point. And again, I think it's kind of towards the end of his time and really not necessarily his finest hour. I'm sure lots of Arsenal fans have other opinions. I'm sure lots of Premier League fans have loads of thoughts. Love to hear from you. Tweet us at Berlin Sport. Email in sport at radioberlum.com. Want to hear from you. Your favourite players in the Premier League, your best transfers, and indeed those flops, those ones who didn't make the grade. Tweet at Bradham Sport. Email in sport at radiobradham.com. Continue to engage with us because, of course, this is your show each and every single bit as much as it is as. But now, Jason, all that preamble aside, can't wait to hear who you are putting under the spotlight just now in terms of either your what you rate as one of the best Premier League transfers or one of the worst, which is going to be, which is going to be. I'm starting off with a positive here and I'm actually going to put a question to you of, you know, how do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you solve a problem like replacing N'Golo Kante? And it's like an impossible conundrum mixed with a Sudoku wrapped in a Rubik's Cube. It's almost nigh impossible to solve. And yet somehow... 
the Foxes did it once with signing Kante himself. Who do you replace him with? Well, you get in Wilfred Ndidi. Who is Wilfred Ndidi? Well, he signed from Genk in 2017. Criminally underrated, I think, in terms of the Premier League. I would say if Kante wasn't there, he would be what you'd call the premium benchmark of defensive midfielders. He's just world-class. I love watching him play. Uh, I'm sure people who have listened in before know my penchant for a wonderful creative midfielder or or one of those midfielders that just isn't recognised, the Carricks, the Bushgets of this world, because Mm -hmm. they're just so gorgeous in the way that they manage the ball or they can make and break play. And Ndidi is just as good, if not, in fact, looking at last season's data, it's going to sound weird, but actually Ndidi was better than N'Golo Kante. I look at his underlying data and, you know, Arsenal went big for Thomas Partey, but they should have probably gone for Ndidi because he beats uh, Kante in almost every aspect. You look at the pass uh, adjusted interceptions, which yeah. is so important for that midfielder. Uh, pass adjusted uh tackles as well so these are adjusted data sets to actually include quality of tackle and Ndidi is in the 99.9 percentile of world players he is that good passing he's above the 90th percentile pressures he is above the 90th percentile Mm -hmm. pressure regains this man is just on top of the world and in fact like I said there he actually beats Kante in terms of pressures pass adjusted tackles and interceptions and regains and you'd think that's impossible how do you do better than N'Golo Kante but he does he he is ridiculously good and again he was under publicized in the football community the fact that they got him from Genk in 2017 for what is an absolute steal when you look at it 17 million his his value must be triple quadruple that now And I think what as well is a little bit upsetting is, you know, you get the team of the year evaluation Mm -hmm. and and I I get it. Sometimes it's really hard to include all the best players, but defenders and defensive midfielders are the ones that always overlooked. And Idrissa Garnagay, Kante were always put ahead of Wilfred and Didi. And sometimes I would say that they were not as good as Ndidi. I I actually feel... Uh, I don't want to like disparage the, those these awards and these uh, team of the years, et cetera, et cetera. But I do feel as though, to a certain degree, name, reputation, as opposed to what actually has happened in any given season, has a certain X factor effect. Nobody would ever admit that, and I totally get that. But I do think that there are reasons why these unsung heroes like Genk find it very, very hard to be rewarded in these kind of categories. That being said, the beauty of a Genk, like uh, a Kante before him, is that he is recognised by his teammates and also his fans, beloved, because, Jason, the stats speak for for themselves, but that's visually appreciated on the pitch. The energy, the commitment to the shirt, um, the passion, uh, all put together. And 
for those reasons, Genk doesn't need rewarding. He is his own reward to the team that he represents. Let's have a gem there. Tell you something as well. Uh, Again, not renowned for goal scoring, but um, coming from Genk, he actually got uh, goal of the year for uh, Genk in the the Belgium League. Um, So that sort of imagination and passing that he displays week in and week out every now and again is applied with a finishing touch. Yeah, he has it all, Tony. The, The ability is there, but obviously, obviously, you know, that's what he's best at, that defensive role. And looking at it last season, he was top for number of tackles, number of interceptions, uh, joint with teammates on so many things. And I think this is why Leicester, the, the season that they won the Premier League, obviously it was, I don't want to say a fluke, because you look at the players that they brought in, Riyad Mahrez, Vardy, Kante, uh, they were world class. They still are. They're still really good players. So it's, it's less of a fluke in that sense. But it was a dream run and five thousand to one dream run. Nobody saw it happening. Uh, but the team Leicester have shown, you know, with the signing of Ndidi to replace Kante, that they have this amazing ability to find these these gems, these stars, and that is why Leicester are now sitting top of the Premier League because they brought in James Madison, Harvey Barnes, mm. Ndidi, Soyuncu, Pereira. They've got Justin at the back as well. Ridiculously good at finding these talented players. Yes, they might sell them on like Harry Maguire and turn a profit. But the amazing thing about Leicester, they don't feature in that bad transfer list at the moment because they seem to have that knack, that ability and indeed, he just shows this. And obviously, this is a wider discussion. But I think he is symptomatic of how brilliant the Foxes are and how maybe over the next five, ten years, excitingly, they might be the team that kind of break this drudgery at the top of the, the league that it's going to be Liverpool, Man City, Man United, Chelsea. They can probably break that because they've also now invested in a really good training facility it's going to be one of the best around the globe so i'm i'm just in total awe of the way that that club is run and i just love <coughs> i just love wilfred indeedy yes indeedy the guy is world class there's no questions about it um, love your views on that. Also, we're touching upon it. We're into January now. Leicester City top the Premier League. Can they do this again? Can they work the Oracle? Can they prove that it was indeedy no fluke when they won it back in 2014? Uh, all to play for. Who do you think is going to take it all home come May? Love to hear from you. Tweet us at Verulam Sport. Email in your thoughts to sport at radioverulam.com. Jason, I really appreciate, as always, your in-depth analysis there on one of the unsung stars of our Premier League and absolutely 17 million from Genk to Leicester City, uh, title challenging. They've got a, a real bona fide international star there and one of the most crucial players in 
the Premier League. Uh, so great shout there. In order to balance things out in just a moment, I'm going to provide who I think is one of the worst signings in Premier League history. Quite a few to go for. Um, but just before I do that, I um, want to remind everybody that we are here through till 7 p.m. on Sportscast. This will be available in full and complete form in a much more extended podcast version, probably a week yesterday. Uh, so do check that out, but make sure you check in, keep yourself comfy and enjoy 92.6 FM Radio Verulam throughout your Saturday evening after we go off the airwaves at 7 p.m. It is the phenomenal music mega mix, 7 through 8, just an eclectic array of diverse music from every era, every genre, everything for anybody's taste. You're going to find a tune or a batch of tunes that's going to get you pumping and going to get you enjoying life. 7 through 8, it's the music hour, or as I call it, the music mega mix. Then 8 through 10. The Dave Ellis Soul Show. Dave Ellis, one of the coolest men in radio environment, indeed, across planet Earth. You will have a feast. Everything that you want from the world of blues, soul, R&B. The Dave Ellis Soul Show is an absolute gem. Enjoy that, 8 through 10. After which, you're in safe hands still because the godfather, my friend, Derek Staines, takes over on Saturday late date. He is a champion broadcaster and a rather good bloke to boot. Saturday late date, Derek Staines, 10 through midnight. Keep a date with 92.6 FM radio throughout your Saturday evening and make a date for us next Saturday. As I say, check us out across Twitter at Verum Sports. You will be choosing our next three weeks sportscast conversation. We're up for you each and every Saturday evening, 6 through seven o'clock it is your show you know it is so tweet us at verum sport email in sports at radioverum.com and keep involved but now it is my turn and i feel as though like i said last week this is, i find beneath all the turbulence on planet earth take a step back look a little deeper there's some kind of weird balance there really is i genuinely believe that so to prove that point to balance things out I'm going to start off with what I think is one of the worst signings in Premier League history. Before I do the one in particular that I'm going to unearth, I want to give a dishonourable mention, just ever so briefly, to Thomas Brolin. Uh, many listeners may know that I am a Leeds United fan, and this was very much in the uh, pre-current um, you know, current era. Um, it, they, he was signed from Parma. He had a great World Cup. He did great things out in Parma. He was a big name. I couldn't fault the signing, but he came to Leeds. I think it's fair to say he wasn't in the best physical shape of his career. He barely featured, constantly injured, falling out with Howard Wilkinson all the time. And uh, yeah, he even uh, you know refused to play, played deliberately badly, I think, in a very negative defeat against Liverpool. One of the worst signings Leeds have ever made. One of the worst Premier League signings all time. But Brolin isn't the one that I'm putting under the microscope. Uh, one of our wonderful listeners earlier on in the day actually suggested it's one of the best Premier League signings. And I actually heartily agree. Uh, but another controversial figure, Luis Suarez. 
the man that came in to replace him is my man under the microscope for one of the worst Premier League selections. And it's Marco Balotelli, the bad boy of football. Uh, I mean, he really is, I feel, a squandered talent because in terms of brute talent, he's absolutely outrageous. He has it all, pace, power, an eye for a goal. Uh, I mean, you know, again, he's done it at international level, helping Italy to the final of uh, Euro 2012, where he was Italy's top scorer with three. So the pedigree shines through. But he's since bounced around Europe, uh, so many misdemeanors, currently at Serie B side Monza. For me, a waste of talent and somebody who was never able to focus in, to have that key watchword we talk about that marks out all great stars in sport, which is discipline. Never able to apply that disciplined mindset to his natural ability. Uh, he started his career at Lumenenza uh, before an unsuccessful trial at Barcelona would see him eventually burst onto the scene with Inter Milan back in 2007. Already there, though, already in those early phases of his career, his disciplinary record, which has, as I say, blighted his career, was coming to the fore as an issue. He wasn't able to ever get on with my man, Jose Marino. Uh, for once, I'm not going to eulogize about uh, the special one. I'll draw a line there. But the signs of a tormented soul almost were at present, even in those early days at Inter Milan. It was Roberto Mancino who actually signed Balotelli for Inter. He gave him a lifeline and brought him to the Premier League with Man City, where there was lots of off-field shenanigans. He actually insulted the city of Manchester. There were lots of headlines I'm sure people can remember about his uh, Maserati car. Uh, lots of positive PR as well. He did some good things. He's some, some kind of level a good guy underneath it all, um, but never really settled. Um, but there were signs of some uh, caliber, that caliber we referenced, <coughs> um, where I think he scored several goals at Man City. Um, but he would then return back to Inter. And it was here that he actually really was maybe at his most consistent in what is a very inconsistent career, scoring 26 goals in 43 games for Inter. And that saw him join Liverpool for 18 million which for a man who played in the European uh, finals just two years before, uh, doing it at international level, scoring in the Serie A, perhaps not an astronomical sum. We could understand the signing just on pure talent alone. And again, when you're losing a Suarez, and again, Suarez is another man who courts controversy. We could have a show devoted to that aspect alone. Um, but in terms of footballing ability, very tricky to replace is Luis Suarez. They don't grow on trees. So, you know, again, I don't think you could fault the signing, uh, but he never really did it. Um, he was actually just still 24 when he signed for Liverpool. Um, and so, again, the, the, the potential upside was there, but it really wasn't a happy marriage at Anfield. Uh, I mean, he only played Jason 939 minutes for the Reds uh, in just over a season. I mean, it's not a lot of action for an 18 million acquisition who had been an international superstar. His only goal, uh, a winner, actually, as it goes, in a 3-2 thriller against Spurs. 
Uh, only one goal, though, in 16 games, 939 minutes of pitch time action. Uh, and in that time, as I say, turbulence surrounds his life always. That's kind of the M.O. of Balotelli. There were things to do with uh, anti-Semitic or uh, could be construed as anti-Semitic uh, social media engagements. He actually, I think this is a really, really disrespectful one. I think this is almost the height of unprofessionalism. I don't know if you remember, but it's in a Champions League game against Real Madrid. He swapped his shirt with Pepe at half time, So he's still got to go into the second half, you know, and represent your team, represent that badge. They're paying your bills if that's all you care about to swap your shirt with another fellow professional before even halftime is just unacceptable. So, yeah, he, he was never a happy marriage at Liverpool. Again, for all those reasons, I think, despite the potential that was undoubted, no upside from the Liverpool uh, signing perspective. Indeed, one of the worst Premier League signings, I think, of all time. Um, since then, he's bounced around Europe to very limited success. Um, as I say, currently playing in Serie B. In fact, Jason, since 2019, uh, when he was at Nice, actually having a decent run, scoring 33 times from 61 games for the French club. Since then, he's only actually claimed, um, I think it's 14 uh, goals um, in, the, in, the, in the remaining time. Uh, no excuse. Yeah, it's just a very, very paltry output, bouncing around Marseille uh, and now into Monza. Just, I think, almost Shakespearean in its tragedy is the Balotelli career because there were moments of sheer genius. Again, controversially, but when he bore his chest after scoring an absolute worldie for Italy in those Euros. Uh, it's just iconic, almost imagery. And like I say, in his day, a devastating force on the pitch. But subsequently, it has petered out. Tragic in its element of unfulfilled potential. And certainly, from a Liverpool perspective, for my money, one of the worst signings all time in Premier League history. Jason, there's lots to be said. I hope uh, what I've said has given us a good framing for your thoughts or recollections on football's bad boy, Balotelli. Goodness me, yeah. Balotelli, only 16 games in the Premier League for the Reds, 28 in total and four goals return. It's a, a paltry return for 18 million. You'd maybe expect that from an attacking midfielder, but not from what was supposed to be the replacement to Suarez. I I do question why the club put such faith in him because everybody knew what he was like from his days yeah. at Manchester City, you know, just just across the pond, basically, uh, just a a city across, and he was Mister kind of these amazing moments. The the one that stands out for me is obviously the Man City uh, days when he was there, probably at his peak the Why Always Me t-shirt. And 
it, yeah. it's kind of there was again uh, there's so much drama there's all so much tragedy in his life but there was the dramatic irony of you know him asking why always me like as if it was the public that were mm. causing him problems when so many of these problems with mario were self-inflicted and that was a sad thing you know he he was somebody with fierce levels of talent he was ridiculously gifted in terms of his physical abilities speed strength height he should have been maybe not an all-time great but maybe a legend of the premier league scoring huge amounts of goals and i remember when he was in that city team as well he was he was so terribly young but he also had a great mentor in Sergio Aguero. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything more. You had Silver in that squad. You had people like Zabaleta, who were a little bit more aged. Joe Hart, who was a, a Premier League winner, but also uh, just the England number one. You, you'd think he was surrounded by all these individuals. He'd want to better himself. But the problem with Mario is always it was somebody else's fault. And yeah. I think that was his problem. He almost seemed like in many ways, like Paul Gascoigne, like a child that never grew up. Um, and that's why he's sometimes connected to the younger people in the community. I remember there was a really good moment, like you said there, Tony. He had these amazing moments of kindness and generosity. He gave a homeless person like £10,000 from his, his Land Rover or something like that. But there was a standout story for me that I think kind of shows his mentality and yes, he had a hard upbringing, especially in Italy with racism, things like that. And that's where he was. He had a good connection with younger people. He went to uh, the school of a young fan who had written to him and said, I'm being bullied. He went into the school and he sat down with the bully and the child and sorted it out. And I think that, that's an amazing moment. If only he could have tapped into that side a little yeah. bit more he he could have been a great great player and he had so many amazing moments he he had a fairly good goal scoring record when he went back to the Serie A when he went back to Milan between that Man City Liverpool period 12 goals in 13 games and then 18 in 41 overall 13 54 it's pretty impressive but since those Liverpool days it's been a dreadfully dramatic drop-off. I mean, bouncing around Europe, as I say, Jason, and just, you know, barely 14 goals in the last few seasons. Uh, but again, this is a guy who was capable of doing it on the pitch at the elite level. I know, obviously, we've eulogised about the wonderful uh, golden generation that has been Spain in recent years. And Italy were pulverised in the Euro 2012 uh, uh, final, 4-0. But he helped Italy so well in that tournament. Their top scorer with three goals. Uh, and again, that iconic image, bare-chested and all. And talking goals to, to game ratio at this elite level, at the international level. I mean, not the longevity, obviously, of a Ronaldo or a Messi, but still a really strong ratio. 14 goals in 36 caps is Almost one every two. It's kind of the barometer of what you're looking at for bona fide world-class talent. So I can actually, looking at all that, uh, understand why Liverpool took a punt on uh, Balotelli. But, uh, uh, you know, again, 
the the ripple effects of these uh, transfers are often wide and varied. Um, obviously, everybody I'm sure can remember um, Brendan Rodgers. Uh, you know, Liverpool coming oh so near but terribly far. Subsequently, of course, winning the Champions League for the first time last season. Can they repeat? But he and uh, Balotelli never clicked. He actually was on record as saying, I wouldn't really have signed him. And, you know, to a certain degree, not 100%, but certainly a ripple effect was that the Balotelli um, time and its lack of success was one of the factors in Rogers now doing great things, as you said, with Leicester losing his Liverpool job. Yeah, it, it, it must have been one of the factors. I think this, the sad thing with Rodgers there was he, he was almost let down by the Liverpool hierarchy. What, what I would say there is the Rodgers era was a little bit tarnished by the fact that they hadn't introduced the mega data scientists that they have now. So the, the group that found Firmino, Salah, Mane... Yeah. That hadn't happened yet, and you, you have to remember that the the Klopp era was almost started by the signing of Sadio Mane. This was the change, and so I feel a little bit sorry for Rodgers in that sense because he was gifted, one of the most gifted players in in the world, and and probably of our generation, uh, the last ten years or so in Luis Suarez. So whoever was going to come in was probably going to come up short. And I think you're right in that sense that it, it's not really a Rodgers' fault. It's more of the the management let him down. It's kind of comparable to Shevchenko with Chelsea. Mm-hmm. You want to buy a player that the manager wants. And again, that, that misfit identity that Balotelli has, has created for himself was probably embellished further by the fact that his manager didn't want him first, that he was second choice. And that probably psychologically went against Balotelli and Rodgers having a, a fruitful relationship. So my blame there, if Rodgers has said that he didn't want him, is down to Liverpool. And I again, I would emphasise the point that, yes, he was a good goal scorer, but he's almost like an Eric Cantona. You need to know how to treat that man. And Rogers not wanting him in the first instance is, is a recipe for disaster. So I put the blame there on the Liverpool board. Uh, Rogers probably should have been, you know, Liverpool had a lot of money to spend there and they should have spent it more wisely, is my belief. Jason, I have already analysed uh, one good, one bad. Now, Jason, flipping it back to you for your selection in terms of one of the worst, one of the poorest transfers in the era of the Premier League. What you got for us? Yes, so I want to talk about another signing that just went AWOL with January. It's a sad one because looking at the size of the club that affected as well really upsets me. It was Middlesbrough's signing of Alfonso Alves from Hervine in 2008 now this was for 12.7 million and that's why it saddens me because Middlesbrough weren't a huge club they they don't have the ability to kind of make these big investments and then ride the, the the problem out they don't have that choice which 
is sad in of itself. When a player joins a club like Middlesbrough, they kind of have to give it their all and give their money's worth, just like any other club, I suppose. But for a smaller club like Middlesbrough, they don't have that margin of error that maybe a Manchester United, a Liverpool, a Chelsea have if they make a big money signing and they flop. Now, Alves joined Middlesbrough in hot form. He was one of the hottest talents at the time. 48 goals and 50 appearances in the Dutch league for Herenveen. And the problem is, is almost this signing of in itself kind of Mm -hmm. has added to the narrative in recent years that, oh, the Dutch league is no good. Uh, Alves is the third Brazilian in history to become the top scorer in the Dutch first division joining former PSV strikers Romario and Ronaldo, the original R9, um, and the second Brazilian to score 30 goals in the competition of the Dutch First Division, uh, with you know Ronaldo R9 netting 30 in 94-95. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was putting up exceptional numbers. And what you'd expect from... so. From a data perspective, when a player joins from the championship, you expect about a third of a drop-off, 30 to 33% drop-off in output. So even with a third output and drop, let's say that the championship and the Dutch league at that time were about uh, the same level. Even then, he should be scoring a bucket load of goals. He should be scoring a lot. But in the end, he left Middlesbrough with just 10 goals in 42 mm-hmm. games. And three of them, so 30% of them, came in a hat-trick in the infamous 8-1 hammering to Manchester City. Um, you know, one of the big kind of stories of that 2008 season. Yeah. Now, what was sad, again, was his behaviour when he was at Borough. The the problem was, as I said there, when you join a club like Middlesbrough, you're kind of joining a very tight-knit unit, but a unit that you're going to have to give your all. But at times, he just went AWOL. He didn't turn up to pre-season training. He did all these kinds of things, and it caused such huge problems for Middlesbrough because they'd sign him up to a big money long-term mm-hmm. contract as well because they were expecting big things from him. And he was talented, and I think the story of Alves actually has a lot of echoes of Balotelli, but just a few seasons before. Alves actually sued the club a few years later over image rights. Uh, the strikers' representatives said that he was owed more than 300000 but with interest and costs, it went up to 500000 And he actually you know, caused huge disruption at the club. And I don't know, again, kind of like what you said with Brendan Rodgers almost being dismissed because of his inability to get something out of Balotelli. Middlesbrough went down 16 months after his transfer and he left mm. soon after um, Middlesbrough you know, joining the club within two years. This all seems to be interlinked. There are the problems at the club that were persisting. Again, their inability to, to kind of defend, to see out games all this sort of stuff. And of course, this was at a time when Gareth Southgate was cutting his teeth, his first opportunity in management. We've seen him kind of had a a second go at a top position, but Mm -hmm. 
that was a, a hugely daunting experience for him. And again, why I link Alves to Balotelli is because after he left the Riverside Stadium, he he went on for a very unauspicious career. He was somebody who was fiercely talented. If yeah. he'd worked at it, he could have maybe given himself a, a second chance in Europe. But he decided to see out the rest of his career in uh, Saudi Arabia, I think it was, in the Middle East for certain. And Al Saad and then Al Rayyan, I think, was where he terminated his career. Yes, and yeah, certainly out in the uh, in the Middle East. And it, it was it's basically kind of retiring when you know you or I retiring now, age twenty six and and uh, thirty or how old, <laughs> however old you are, Tony, just kind of calling it quits now when we've we've got the peak of our careers ahead of us, and so did he. He was in the Brazilian squad in 2007. Yeah. He was there at the Copa America. This was some Eight caps for Brazil, a goal for Brazil again, doing it at the international level. Yeah, and this was the thing. He scored against Mexico, who aren't a team to be sniffed at. Very rich history in terms of playing ability. Even won the Copa America in 2007. It just seems a really heartbreaking waste of a career. I don't know if he got disheartened with football I don't know uh, on like a, a mental health level if, if there was something wrong there but this just seems to be so like Balotelli just somebody who couldn't get their head in the game they were given golden opportunities they were yep. given these these beautiful moments he could have been a legend of Middlesbrough like Tunsai you know somebody else from Brazil with fierce talent with a great free kick ability you know Alves did have all those things going for him but he just couldn't commit to football he saw out his best days out in the Middle East and he, he left there with 19 goals and 32 appearances overall in his career 259 appearances I mean that's not good enough for somebody who at such a young age, you know, when he broke out uh, in Malmo and then her and Veen, he was tipped as, as Europe's brightest or one of his brightest strikers. I mean, it's it's really sad. But also, do you have sympathy when it's so self-inflicted like that, Tony? It's a great question. And I just think it's brilliantly uh, way the, the, the synergy, the, the, the parallels between Alves and uh, aforementioned Balotelli, uh, because there's no questioning his, his capability on the pitch. I mean, that goes to game ratio um, for Hera Devine was phenomenal, absolutely off the charts. So once again, you cannot fault necessarily the signing and the flashes of talent even at Middlesbrough in this uh, rather ignominious stint of his 10 goals you mentioned that uh, famous hat-trick against Man City also um, got a brace I think against Manchester United so he's again performing and showing his capabilities as a Premier League performer against very strong opposition Um, but Again, like I've said earlier tonight, it's so, so hard to to get a measure on certain things. And even Sir Alex Ferguson, you could reel off several, Taibi, Varane, just off the top of my head. Even the great Sir Alex Ferguson has had some dud signings. Even nowadays, with all the fascinating sports science and statistical uh, awareness that goes on and are being applied so powerfully by so many clubs, 
there is this question uh, or this aspect of character and attitude and you cannot coach that that's certainly something uh, that you that you're born with you have to work with and you know the, in, in American sporting parlance, they call it the imponderables, leadership qualities, um, determination, um, you know, just these, these kind of ineffable human qualities that mark out uh, greatness and also elevate an average player into a good player or a good player into a great player. Whereas the other way, the kind of attitude to life uh, that Balotelli and Alves demonstrated, and this is not you and I having a pop at them, you know, by no means. It's just the reality of what played out. These attitudes are negative and will always yield negative results. And again, it's not something easy to scout or to pick up upon. Balotelli, like I say, came in, uh, you know, off a European Championship final, firing Italy there. Alves, with that golden season, it's, um, you know, her Devine. On paper and indeed on pitch, they looked bang on form. Like they were, again, both of them, I can't quibble with the actual signing, but their approach, their mentality, clearly had a flaw now how that could have been picked up is another question would dearly love to have your views on them should we be doing more in the transfer process not just to look at stats not just to look at data analysis not just to look at on uh, pitch performances but also to get a handle on the character the psychology of players love to get your views on that do tweet us at verulam sports also of course email in sport at radioverulam.com be really keen to have your views Alaves I think Jason is a very good shout as one of the worst Premier League signings of all time but who else springs to your mind who else of your club signed that you were left ruining maybe straight away maybe you had a feeling it wasn't a good signing or maybe after the effect after it had happened and it just didn't happen on the pitch love your views worst Premier League signings all time get involved Tweet us at Verum Sport. You can drop us a note and give us a little bit more of a detailed appraisal to sport at radioverulam.com. But the yin to the yang, and always, I'm a pint half full kind of a guy. So I'd be delighted also to get your memories, your recollections of those joyous signings who just left you wowed. Your favourite Premier League signings, those signings that you would rank as amongst the best Premier League signings of all time. Do get involved, as I say, it's dead easy to do so. The quickest, the most efficient means to engage with us in the digital era is to drop us a tweet at Verum Sport. But do feel free to email in a more detailed analysis on your favourite uh, Premier League transfers, those best Premier League transfers, those memorable stars of which there have 
been many. Tweet at Vernal Sport, email us sport at radiovernal.com. And now to end on a positive, and I'm delighted to do so, I'm going to give my uh, what I think is actually arguably the greatest recent acquisition. And that's very subjective. Indeed, is the next claim. But I'm going to make this claim. The one I'm going to analyze in just a second, I think is the best value for money signing in Premier League history. Certainly for me, and I don't think there'll be many uh, uh, debate about it. Uh, I'm going to talk about Andy Roberts in just a moment. Uh, You know, it certainly ranks as one of the best Premier League signings all time. Before I put him under the microscope, though, I gave a dishonourable mention to Thomas Brolin earlier in the piece. And I want to give an honourable mention to Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, Many younger viewers may not necessarily remember him as a Premier League player. He wasn't there for long. He was a bit of a mercenary, generally speaking, was Jurgen. But what a great career he had. Uh, But for me, this is one of the best Premiership signings all time. Uh, He signed for Monaco for Spurs. Uh, making over 65 appearances, scoring 29 goals in the season 94-95. I love everything about this signing because we're talking very early era Premier League. And this was a time where the Premier League was still searching for its identity. It was, as we've discussed in uh, Alves and the Saudi leagues, maybe considered by many at the time, subsequently changed massively, but many might have considered it a little bit of a lower quality league than perhaps Syria at the time. Maybe players were coming in and getting a pension. Tell you something, Klinsman was one of the poster boys for the Premier League. And again, talking attitude, he had a wonderful attitude both on and off the pitch for Spurs. And I just loved the way he announced himself onto the stage. Because Spurs fans were not exactly gleeful about signing this uh, German star. Of course, just a few years earlier, back in Italy 90, he had helped England, well, knocked England out in penalties as part of a German team that won uh, Italy 90. Um, But again, he set himself up. He came from Monaco, was a bit of a uh, mercenary, as I say, and had a reputation as a diver. Straight away, though, he converted all that. He embraced it and uh, got the Spurs fans well on side with a header against, I think, Sheffield Wednesday on debut, where his celebration is legendary. Again, embracing that diver reputation. He literally dove, uh, sending himself up and embedding himself as part of Spurs folklore. And he just showed great consistency that season. 29 goals, um, sorry, 41, uh, 21 goals for Spurs across 41 appearances that season. Uh, he would go on to win the 95 Football Writers Association Player of the Year, the 1995 Football Writers Association Player of the Year, uh, Jürgen Klinsmann. He was named into the PFA Team of the Year. Jason, you and I have uh, we've said a few murky things about that, but I think it was well earned. And, um, you know, he helped Spurs to a semi-final of the FA Cup where they lost to Everton, who I believe that year actually beat Man U in the final. So it was a great, albeit a short stint in the Premier League for Jürgen Klinsmann. But the way that he got the fans on his side and the way he helped really put the Premier League on the map. Let's not forget he was a World Cup winner. Uh, he had come from Monaco where he was prolific. 
and was a big, big name doing great things for Spurs. And for me, gets a really strong honourable mention. I'd love your Jürgen Klinsmann memories, those of you who are old enough to recall the great German getting it done in our Premier League. But now on to uh, what I still maintain is the best value for money signing all time throughout the 27 years now of Premier League history. Andy Roberts signing from Hull for Liverpool for just eight million. And again, you know, don't want to get too heavy about this, but I believe this. There is this weird element where things balance out. We've given a little bit of scurn and castigation to Liverpool's scouting, but you really have to praise this. What a coup. Eight million from Hull. And he has just been a bona fide superstar. Um, he's also Scotland's captain, 40 caps for Scotland. And of course, we built up, we're building up to it all year long. Can't wait for the Euros. And Scotland, inspired by Captain Andy Roberts, will be there. They will be in, indeed in England's group. That's going to be fun, making Scotland's first major finals since 1998. Do you know what, again, about Scott Roberts, if we talk about Balotelli being a tragic element of unfulfilled talent, this is quite simply the polar opposite. Again, balancing things out. He started his career at Queen's Park, who were in the third tier of Scottish football. He was basically on the cusp of getting involved with his university life and career. Who knows? where Andy Roberts, the student, and then the uh, civilian may have been. Um, Queen's Park, though, signed him to a professional contract. The young man signed on the dotted line, decided to make a whirl of it, and goodness me, he's taken that opportunity and with great ability, but I would also suggest a fantastic work ethic and a determination. He has arisen all the way to the very pinnacle of the game. Scotland's captain and with Liverpool, signing with them from Hull for just £8 million, uh, back in 2017. He has uh, played in two Champions League's final, helping Liverpool claim their sixth in that all-English affair against Spurs from a few seasons back, where, by the way, he was the first Scot um, in a Champions League, or to pick up a Champions League winner, uh, winner's medal um, since 2009. And that was, uh, I think, Darren Fletcher for Manchester United. Fletcher didn't start, though, was an unused sub that day. So Roberts is the first Scot to play and indeed win a Champions League since Paul Lambert way back when, in 1997. So two uh, Champions League appearances, one Champions League winner's medal, and of course, helping Liverpool to that glorious Premier League title, where they romped away with it last season, the first Premier League title in the Premier League era, and indeed their first top division title since uh, I think season 1990, so a long time. And Andy Roberts has been instrumental in that. Absolutely instrumental. Coming back, though, to his early career at uh, Queen's Park, um, he was voted PFA Scotland Young Player of the Year. Um, and he then joins Dundee United, also uh, bagging that Young Player of the Year uh, crown with them. 
Uh, he scored an amazing solo effort, not renowned for his goals, is renowned for his assists. And I'll build up to that in just a second. But an amazing solo effort for Dundee. Picking the ball up in his own half. Amazing run and then a real stellar finish showing his prowess and indeed his class. With Dundee United, he helped them to a Scottish Cup final. He, they beat Rangers in the semi-final before losing 2-0 to St. Johnston. He then joined Hull and once again showed his prowess in a few tipsy-turvy years uh, with the Hull side before Liverpool snipped him up for that amazing fee. What an acquisition. Just £8 million. And as I say, he has just done phenomenal things for Liverpool. A great defender. He's principally a left-back. But Jason, you understand better than most. The modern-day left-back operates as a uh, up-and-down kind of a player. And he embodies that, I think. Obviously, his friend Trent Alexander-Arnold on the other flank for Liverpool. Liverpool truly do have two of the very best on planet Earth in the modern form of fullback play. Um, but I, I, for my money, Roberts is superior, uh, I think more complete, but it doesn't matter. As a twin tandem, they are amongst the best on planet Earth. Um, he's been described as the best fullback in the Premier League by Kevin Kilban. Phil Neville goes one better, describing him as currently the le best left back in the world. Um, he has, uh, since uh, joining the Premier League, again, he did that with Hull, um, he has um, an unbelievable number of assists. From 169 Premier League games in that time span, he has 37 assists. Jason, super quick question. Do you know, in that time span, 2013 through to present day, who tops the Premier League for assists? Bear in mind, again, I'll give you the fact for um, Roberts' assists. 37 since he joined the Premier League with Hull. Do you know who's number one assist-wise? Uh, I would guess Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, he's just been an absolute machine in terms of assists. But then Robertson's not far off. Do you know, Jason, it's a brilliant shout. It's not right. Take a seat for this one, my friend, because he's departing the Gunners now and not necessarily the most fabulous Gunner all time. He is, though, Mesel Ozil with 45, the Premier League's leading assist merchant in the uh, Roberts Premier League era. Uh, but just check that out. Ozil, as you know, floats, um, attacking midfielder, sometimes a false uh, nine. Uh, but Roberts bombing up and down the flanks in that time span is only eight off Ozil in terms of assists. Truly astonishing. And in terms of number of assists for a defender all time, he's hunting down. I'm sure he'll surpass him. Leighton Baines is the Premier League's all-time assist guru when it comes to defenders with 53. He's got a ways to go to get to number one, which is, of course, Ryan Giggs with 162 assists. But Giggs, whilst towards the end of his career, shifted in field, showing that cerebral nature, really had a majority of those as an out-and-out -out pure winger. And, you know, for uh, Roberts in such a short time uh, frame of time, again, only joined the Premier League in 2014 with Hull, has been with Liverpool since 2017, has in that time got 37 Premier League assists. Priceless. 
for me, I mean, the trophy cabinets speak for itself. Uh, as I say, winners win. It's a tautology. It's a truism. But he's a winner born and bred. And one Premier League title, they're battling for a repeat. One Champions League already in the uh, cabinet of Andy Roberts. Not to mention all those assists. I think pound for pound, in any way you want to choose to use that, either in a currency sense or in boxing uh, vernacular, one of the best Premier League signings all time. And I certainly don't have any question in, for my money, the best in terms of value for money already and still so young. Yeah, uh, I love watching him play. He's He works exactly the way that Klopp wants. You know, he's the overlapping wing back, whereas then it allows uh, whoever's playing on that side to be an inside forward, to, to be able to cut in and shoot. He's so, so important. And on the other side, you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold. But the fact that they got him for that snip price of $8 million, it is ridiculous. Uh, I love his passion, his work rate. He, he's an absolute workhorse. And every time you go out on the pitch, you, you know that he's going to give his all and even this season which hasn't been the best of of Liverpool's or of recent it's not a vintage one in comparison to their performances of late he is still producing the goods he is a, a wonderful wonderful player and I just can't wait to see what he can produce even more because at the end of the day, you know, he's got five assists this season. I don't know if he'll get to those record levels that he did uh, in previous seasons gone by this one. But what you do know with that Liverpool team is once Van Dijk is back, maybe if they make a signing for another defender to kind of partner Van Dijk or, or be there if he's injured or or, or whatever to, to bumper the squad a little bit, they they're going to be there or thereabouts because of the likes of Alexander Arnold uh, of Robertson uh, and Alexander Arnold because the the team is just so deep uh, in talent in terms of their first eleven and I think this is part of the problem as well with Liverpool is their first eleven is amazing but then you look at somebody like Manchester City their first eleven and their B team is amazing so that's that has been a bit of a restriction this season but. The amazing thing with Robertson is, uh, even when he's injured, he, he tends to still play. Yeah, he's been carrying uh, an ankle injury for the past two seasons, and it's always the murmurings in in the injury community of, will he play this week? Will he be rested? And he he just starts week in week out. He is so reliable, and and that's exactly what you want from a, a winning kind of player. Yeah. Is is that reliability? So I love the shout of Robertson. I'm a huge, huge fan. I love the guy. I think he's he's one of the best players in the league at the moment, and uh, I, I'm glad that you brought him to the table tonight, Tony. And again, reminder to us all uh, the importance of attitude, the importance of seizing opportunity, and really appreciating it. Again, what a different world it could have been had he gone to university, had he not decided to sign professionally with lowly Queen's Park. And again, Queen's Park, and I mean no disrespect to them, let's put that in context. They, they were at the third tier of Scottish football. To go from that to Champions League winner, 
Premier League winner. It's astonishing. And it's not just a reflection of that phenomenal talent, that wonderful crossing ability, the energy that he puts in to each and every single performance. But it's a mental thing as well, where the likes of Alves and Balotelli were deficient there. It seems to me that Robertson has that winner's attitude, that core devotion, that discipline to truly look to keep on improving, to always want to better yourself. But also, there is no sense of entitlement, I guess, when you start from that position. There's a sense of an appreciation for the game, a love for the game and what it means and what it represents and the opportunities that it's provided. And for me, they are the emblems, uh, I think, transcending even the wonderful gift he has in that left foot of his, uh, it, that uh, why he's reached such stratospheric levels. And again, let's not also forget, we, talk, we talked earlier about imponderables, leadership qualities. Um, he's not Liverpool's on-field leader, but also a bit of a general. He is Scotland's captain. And with 40 caps to his name, um, he's going to be a big player for Scotland in the Euros. And let's again frame that let's put that in its context obviously it's not all Andy Robertson it, that would be wrong to to lead people to think that I don't believe it but he's instrumental in Scotland he's the captain and he leads by example and Scotland will be in the Euros that will be their first international tournament since France 98 uh, you know it's such a long time so many years we talk years of hurt for England and all that but at least there is that trophy for Scotland not even qualifying for a tournament since 1998 and with Robertson they will be a threat to England and who knows beyond but I'm just delighted that Scotland are there and again that leadership quality is one of the ineffable important X factors, as the Americans call it, the imponderables that mark out the best from the rest. Just thoughts on leadership and Andy Robertson's leadership properties. Yeah, I think with any champion club, your team is full of leaders. So Van Dyke is a leader. Robertson is a leader. Uh, Firmino, Salamane. But Henderson is the captain of the club. But all of them, on their day, can uh, and are leaders. That is amazing. And th th this is the thing that is lacking at some clubs. This is the reason why some clubs are, are failing. I mean, this has been a problem with Arsenal for a long while, is that lack of leadership role, that grit on the pitch. And Andrew Robertson is kind of everything that you'd want in a player. He... <laughs> If you went into a scientific lab to, to create the, the best player that you could imagine, he, he would probably be the thing coming out of the end of the, the conveyor belt. He's so damn good. I mean, I just love watching his his play on the pitch, but even his, his decorum off the pitch, you know that he is a good person. You never see anything negative about him in the news as well. He is dedicated to football. And like you said there... That meteoric rise from Queen Park to, uh, you know, through the Scottish, through to Hull, through to Liverpool, in such a short space of time, it is no accident, it is no miracle or coincidence. It is through sheer hard work. And 
Um, he, he is amazing. And, and with the Scotland team as well, they're, they're lucky in a sense, but also unlucky that two of the greatest left-backs in Scotland, maybe history, definitely of a generation, Andy Robertson and then Kean Tierney, just both happened to come through at the same time. I mean, it's sod's law, isn't it? But I think the good thing there, which we will see in the Euros, is Tierney can play as a centre-back as well. So Robertson can get down that left-hand side. He can get the assists and goals uh, that they need, even though he doesn't score goals too often, but he's so integral to the goals scored each game week. So I agree wholeheartedly with you, Tony. He is He's a leader not just by shouting at people, but also by example. He is, he is amazing. I, I can't wax lyrical enough about Andy Robertson. He's just one of my favourites, you know, um, even as a neutral, even if you're a Man United fan, you have to accept that he is. I, I would, I would go along with it. He is the best left back in the world at the moment. I can't think of anybody that even comes close to his abilities in terms of defending and attacking. You know, some of these wing backs are really good at attacking or defending. Like Wambasaka is an amazing defender. Not too many goal contributions. Trent Alexander-Arnold is amazing at going forward, but defending-wise, I would say questionable at times. Robertson gives you both. Uh, there, there is nothing that he can't do. He's one of the Premier League stars at the moment, and I think one of the best signings that the Premier League has ever embraced. Credit to Liverpool for picking him up for an absolute snip at £8 million. Goodness only knows what his market value is in 2021. I want to know your views, though, and your memories on Premier League signings, both good and indeed bad. Tweet us at Verulam Sport. You can email in. Of course you can. Sport at RadioVerulam.com. Keep them coming. Keep it pressed across social media. We're going to be engaging with you based on your choices for next Saturday's sportscast. And we'll always be then putting that together in full extended podcast version form. It's always an honor and indeed a privilege to enjoy talking sports with the legend that is the machine, Jason McKenna. It's an absolute pleasure to have been with you and enjoying your company. Continue to keep involved with us. Tweet at Verulam Sport, email sport at radioverulam.com. And we'll be back with more. For now, wherever you are, I wish you well. And I would like to wish you every continued joy and indeed happiness in our incredibly challenging times. God bless. All the best. Bye-bye.